He played Karakan. His rating was higher. But from move seventeen, the king's side was mine. Took my chances fast. My rook was a knife, and my almighty queen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host, Jennifer Chahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com. And that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca. His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast for your shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone. I am here in the capital of chess in America, St. Louis, at the World Chess Hall of Fame, live with the chief curator, Shannon Valley. Hello, Jen. It's so great to finally have you on the podcast. You know, you were on my very initial list of guests. And part of that's because in 2016, there was a show here at the World Chess Hall of Fame called Ladies Night, which ended up being the title for this pod. Yes. (laughs) Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. And I have listened to all of the podcasts that you've done. And to be included amongst the people that you have interviewed is quite an honor. And I was, I'm actually a little intimidated by it all, but I can't wait to, you know, tell everybody about what I do here at the Hall of Fame and kind of uh, how we view women and and girls here um, on the campus. And yes, Ladies Night was a great exhibition to work on. What is some of your most memorable um, pieces or events from that show? Well... You know, I don't have a strong chess background, so my background's really in museums and art and history, and I'm I'm sure we'll get to it at some point, but I kind of stumbled into the chess world, and so like a lot of people, I kind of thought that it was very male-dominated, and a lot of the artists or the people that we were talking about early on, um, it was very male-centric. And so we had in the collection or available to us some really incredible pieces of chess art created by women. And we thought, you know, let's really kind of get down and do a show about women and chess and kind of how are women interpreting the game? How do they interpret? How do they mix their art along with it? And then at the same time, we started, we did an exhibition called Her Turn um, about revolutionary women chess players. And so that was going on at the same time in a different gallery. So there was this great kind of push-pull and interaction between chess and art and chess artists and then the women players. And which piece in that show um, kind of brings you the strongest visual memories? Oh my gosh. Um, that is that is really tough. And one thing about that show that I was so uh, proud of and excited about was the um, the breadth of the women in the show, and that you had some 
um, emerging artists alongside of people like Barbara Kruger and Yoko Ono. Um, and they all were on a very even playing field, not to like use a game reference there. And some of the women um, who may not have been as well known ended up being some of the crowd favorites. So to answer that question, I mean, we try to exhibit Yoko Ono's um, play it by trust piece as often as we can because it's an iconic piece. It's just beautiful to look at. And then the meaning behind it, if you're not familiar with it, it's an all white board with all white pieces. So you have to have a discussion of, you know, if white goes first, who goes first. And then this whole idea of, you know, is that your pawn or my pawn? And so um, that, you know, of course is incredible. Um, another one that really stood out to me was uh, Crystal Fischetti's Sun and Moon. She partnered with Perling. Um, and again, if you're not familiar with that, that's a luxury gaming company um, out of London. And they not only do chess pieces um, and chess sets and boards, but they also do guitars and backgammon and checkers. And uh, they basically give them a Staunton set and they use it as a canvas. And she told this story of kind of like an ancient tale of that the sun and the moon are in love and they're always chasing each other. And then like one dies so the other can live. You know, it's very romantic and just the colors of the the blues to the oranges throughout the piece. And kind of as you play, you see the story being told out. And then your piece, of course, you were in this show, which was awesome to work with you on that. Um, your Take Your Naked Chess, which was your take on the Eve Babbitts and uh, Marcel Duchamp. Um, where you had your clothes on and the male was naked in this piece, whereas in the in the earlier piece, it was a, a nude woman in a gallery playing chess against Duchamp. Thank you so much. And I mean, also Yoko Ono's piece, like, I find that so fascinating as a chess player because I love her pacifist message, but I also know that chess players will make ordering a sandwich competitive. <laughs> so they take Yoko Ono's piece and like suddenly it's a death battle. Yes. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that because um, the piece is owned by Rex and Jeannie. And so what's great about it is that people are allowed to sit in the chairs and play on the play with the pieces on the board. And we have brought that out. We brought it out during the show. Um, you led a discussion and people were playing on it. And to see people that, you know, because I can struggle with the game when it's a regular stop and set and there are black and white pieces and black and white squares. But to watch people, again, kind of getting competitive over it or just playing and remembering all of their pieces is, is quite a spectacle. Yeah, and actually, I remember the two women who played in it for that exhibition were Alyssa Melchina, who was my most recent Ladies' Night guest, and Nazi Pekidzi. The reasons we picked them is because they're great chess players, but they're also really interested in kind of like the cultural world outside chess, like Nazi starting a new fashion company, and Alyssa is, of course, like an entrepreneur. So yes. it, was, it was really... <laughs> but when they're chess players, they're chess players. Yes. And they were definitely trying to get each other. So that show is really meaningful to me, too, because of the breadth of the subject matter involved. So you did have something like Yoko Ono's pacifist piece next to Barbara Kruger's piece where there um, are sounds as you move um, and they're saying things like, you look good losing. And it, you know there are a couple of nice things that are being said, but it's basically like she's interpreting what um, chess players are kind of silently trash talking each other. And then we, you know, we had your piece, which was definitely a, a big feminist statement 
about men versus women and, and the nudity. And then we had pieces that were dealing with the Black Lives Matter. We had pieces set dealing with addiction. Um, and so there was, there really was something for everybody in that show. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I really, one thing I really appreciate about the World Chess Hall of Fame, which I guess goes into your background as well as many of the SAS background here is the writing and the wall text. I mean, you guys do an unbelievable amount. I mean, I'm on the board, so obviously I'm I'm like a and I'm a commentator for the chess club, so I'm a bit biased, but I think I can objectively say that you guys put out an incredible amount of literature, um, most of it free, that relates to your show. And I remember you um writing something about the naked chess piece and just the way that you talked about how it tied into the lack of male nudity in museums in proportion to the number of male artists. And like, I hadn't thought of it that way before. And so... Well, I mean, it kind of goes back, you know, we're only a few days out of the Super Bowl um, and the halftime performance show. And I think it steps outside of the museum is how much of bodies are allowed to be seen and and what does that represent? And no one had a problem with um, Adam Levine taking his shirt off uh, last year during the Super Bowl halftime, but there was a lot of comments on the scantily clad uh, Lopez and Shakir- Shakira, right? Shakira, yes. Yeah. Um, performing this year. And the same thing kind of goes in museums. I think that we're so used to seeing um, the female breast or the nude statues of women, but sometimes you see a nude male and, you're, and it seems to be different. I think the same thing happens in movies. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just kind of showing the broad impact that that show had, you did a series of programs um, to kind of promote women in girls' chess. And one of them was Ladies' Night's Chess Classes across the street at our Kingside Diner. So that was 2016. It's 2020. And those are still going strong. That I absolutely love because a lot of times you have a show and you create programming around it and then, you know, it's done. And then you're on to the next show and the next ideas that you're out to promote. And um, I'm in, you know, my early 40s and I was kind of looking around thinking about how I am a young child and thinking about how I used to take chess lessons and, you know, it was it's intimidating. And, you know, I knew how to play when I was a kid, but trying to be in this chess environment and and, and be able to speak the language and play the game. And so I kind of thought, wow, there are all these women and you know we're doing this women's programming who might be in their 30s or 40s or 50s and like to come to our programs but are intimidated by the game and I thought well why don't we work with the club to get chess lessons taught by women for women they're laid back there's wine there's some cheese and we had to keep moving the class to different locations because we kept growing out of the space and to see four years later the class is still thriving and that new people are continuing to sign up for it. Um, I think it's just wonderful. Yeah, I love the concept and we try to replicate it in different cities across the country with um, our new U.S. Chess Women initiative, including some grants that have gone to initiatives to get moms and adults to play. There are very few female adults that play chess. We're doing really well in increasing the number of girls, but I think initiatives like that are so important Women tend to do a disproportionate share of childcare and emotional labor, housework. And therefore, in order to get them into new activities, I personally think you got to kind of focus on the multitasking. And with Ladies Night, it does the networking and the chess instruction at the same time. Well, as my child ages, I learn new things about myself and how I react 
to her at different stages of her life. She's almost eight now. And so you're starting to change from babying them to want to, I'm already starting to feel like, do I, am I going to be the cool mom? Is she going to like not want to fight with me when I'm, when she's 12, you know, when girls like to start fighting with their moms <laughs> times, you know, you kind of see these moms standing around while their kids are playing chess in the club. And now a lot of those moms are taking the lesson. So I think it's a thing too that allows the moms maybe to catch up or be able to have something in common with their kids to talk to. It's something that's very positive. Absolutely. I, I think that's so great. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast and the um, host was talking about connecting with your children in a way where you kind of go beyond how was your day at school mm-hmm. and that kind of digging a little bit more deeply, even if you can't become like a great tennis player or you know, um, chess player, knowing enough about the language that you can ask them like slightly better questions is really good for connecting with your child. My husband does a ton of work uh, helping, you know, with raising our daughter too. But there, I think there is arguably, it can be tough being a working mom Mm -hmm. at times and trying to find like five minutes to yourself to do something. And what better way to like spend that time, maybe doing something like playing chess to pull out of the, is the laundry done? Is everything laid out for tomorrow? You know, what's for lunch on Wednesday kind of thing. And maybe kind of using that time like as a meditation or, you know, something that's good for your brain too. I totally agree. I think that's one way that we get more people into chess, whether it be children or busy moms, busy dads, um, anyone, is this idea that there's always more work to be done on our computers and our phones and in our homes. There's always more to do. And you kind of almost need to force yourself to have a space where you can't do any of that other stuff. Exactly. And that show, too, is something, you know, the Hall of Fame has been in St. Louis since 2011. But, you know, it had existed for decades prior in, in different locations. But we really, our mission is uh, quite different than it had been in the past. I mean, we absolutely celebrate Um, the great chess players and and the great contributors to the game. But as you can already tell just from the discussion, if you're not familiar with, you know, what we do here, that we do art shows. We do an art show. There's an art show up at all times. And we really celebrate uh, chess and culture. And so by having that as a mission, you know, some I get interviewed a lot and people say, you know, what is the mission of the World Chess Hall of Fame? And I can go into the, we're a collecting institution, we promote the game, blah, 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 blah. But I always go back to... Our job is to make chess fun and accessible to everybody. And Ladies Night was one of those big, important shows that I felt really hammered that home to show the link of all different things. Like I said, the different subject matter involved in the pieces and then bringing in women to the Hall of Fame and to the club and to play chess. Absolutely. And now it gave me my podcast name. So I'm grateful for that. Looking at all of the shows, you've been here as a director for over seven years and you've been at the Hall of Fame for nine plus years, almost about to celebrate your 10-year anniversary here. No, not crazy. It's gone by so quickly. But of all the shows and all the pieces that you displayed here, if you could have one in your own permanent collection, which one would it be? That is impossible <laughs> to answer. Um, I think about that a lot because it's it's difficult enough per show because we do this with staff. We walk around and we'll say, um, what's your favorite piece in the show? And we kind of also ask a different question too of like, um, what's your favorite one and which one would you like to own? Because sometimes those are very different answers. Mm-hmm. You know, like what would you display in your house versus, you know, what do you think is the best one? I, that is so tough because there are such... I mean, if we're just talking about chess sets and pieces, for one thing, because we also show paintings and 
fashion and advertisements, but I, I kind of like think of like high art and low art, like some of the ones from John Cromeller's collection. Um, he had this like just beautiful set that was birds, and it was mm. just so incredible. It's probably one of the best sets we've ever shown at the Hall of Fame. And it's these that. beautiful birds. And then you look at the craftsmanship of, you know, the ivory pieces with the elephants or the puzzle ball sets of just then being in awe of, again, with my art background, you know, beyond that being a chess piece, it's a sculpture and an artwork, each piece. And then a couple of years ago to celebrate our fifth anniversary, we did a local artist show where we commissioned 20 artists to create chess sets or chess related artwork um, that we kept in our permanent collection. So we get to pull those out when, whenever we want to, which is great. Um, but a local artist, uh, Bruce Burton, did a chess set made out of slag that he found in his yard. And slag is like, um, like decades ago and you would burn, they would burn their trash. It's like this runoff. Uh, it looks like, um, like lava. I don't know. It's really gorgeous. I'll have to put some of these uh, chess sets and these favorites in the show notes so people can see them. And then, oh my gosh, I just love the pop culture sets too, like Batman and the Muppets. And, you know, those things are so fun. And those are, those are fan favorites. Well, the nice thing about those is you can actually get some of those on eBay. I was actually inspired because I loved a lot of those sets and you had an exhibition at the airport as well. Mm -hmm. And as my son was born, I was thinking like, maybe it would be fun to, when I do some of these like outreach events and also with my son to have like a mini collection. And unlike a lot of art pieces, they were very affordable. I mean- I, I found like this Hello Kitty set and the Batman set. My and- daughter has the Batman set. We have um, Christmas chess sets and a Coca-Cola chess set because I love that Coca-Cola kind of uh, merchandising I think is really pretty. Um, so yeah, we, we collect those at home too and they're they're hard not to, to buy up. Uh, a couple of our staff members were just at the the chess the student chess tournament in brooklyn a couple weeks ago and we sent up a few chess sets that were kid related and they went nuts and they had 2500 people saw our pieces and heard about the hall of fame during this tournament and the kids kept talking about how they wanted to see a pokemon set yeah we got to make it happen <laughs> well that's the thing like these chess sets it can you can really ha- take any activity and create a set out of it and that's like the beauty of it and that's why i think it keeps coming up in art over the, the centuries what are some of your favorite pieces that you've seen us exhibit it is tough i really love tom hackney's exhibition i loved his um colorful the more recent um color ones just I love color. I love the concept. For those of you who um, didn't hear about that exhibit, it is an artist who's based in London, Tom Hackney, who created art out of various famous chess games, particularly Marcel Duchamp's games. And so he would take the movement of the pieces through the game and use that as inspiration to paint. And the resulting paintings are actually stunning just on their own. But then when you also realize that they kind of uh, mark a chess game, yes, it adds this this other layer that I really appreciate. Yeah, so he's got the black and white series, and then he's got the colored series that are based off of Duchamp created a chess set, which each piece represented a color. And so that's where the colored ones uh, come in. And we did a catalog with that, and we worked with the Francis Nauman Gallery in New York on that. So that was fun. I was close to pulling the trigger on one of those. They're probably <laughs> they're probably way more expensive now. I know. He, he is getting popular. He uh, pops up in my news feed a lot, and he's a great 
great person. Yeah. So I was a big fan of those. And I, I also really liked um, Crystal's set. That was just stunning that you mentioned earlier. And I know a crowd favorite was during the um, pearling exhibit that you had on the first floor. There were a really couple of them that I just loved. I did an interview actually with um, Nettie for your Hall of Fame series. And that one related to climate change, but it was also stunning. I guess I like the ones that are just very beautiful and poppy and that Anyone could just think, wow, that's beautiful. But then when you learn more about it, you get this like this sense of how deep the meaning is. Before I read about her piece, I thought, oh, isn't that just so pretty? And, you know, it was glittery and pastel-y and it is about bleached corals and plastic destroying the ocean. And so you're like, oh no, it is one of those things where sometimes like, what is your gut reaction versus what is the meaning behind it? Yeah. And I like when the gut reaction is positive, but then you're actually also a little wrong. Yeah. So yeah, the yeah. surprises and that, that story. Um, so that was amazing. And you also had one there called the glass ceiling, which, yeah. which was extremely popular. It was a very popular one. I remember all the top players were posing in front of it. Fabiano Caruana. Daniela Rachev did that piece. Yeah. And that one was based on a Judith Polgar game. Yeah. And over Magnus. Over Her Magnus. first win against Magnus Carlsen. Yeah. I'll, I'll also include that one in the show notes <laughs> because that one was a real stunner. Yeah, and we've got images of almost all of these pieces and um, archives of the exhibits on our website, too. So I'm sure you get questions all the time from chess players about art, because some of chess players obviously are brilliant people, but aren't classically trained in art, so don't know a lot about the art history. And that's one thing that I love about this institution, that chess players come through here, kids come through here, and they get educated about that history and that art. Yes. um, So... Tony says, Tony Rich, the uh, executive director over at the club, he says this at every opening uh, tournament. Uh, he talks about how the club represents the how you play chess and the Hall of Fame represents the why you play chess. And that is really, again, fun to do. It is kind of fun to show everybody that chess is everywhere. And I remember about a year after I started working here, my mom called and said, I see chess everywhere now. <laughs> you know, you see it in commercials and and printed advertisements and TV shows and you know fashion and everything. Um, so we do love seeing Magnus walking through the galleries and looking at the art. And Fabi comes every time he's back in St. Louis and come, comes and sees the shows. And talking to the chess players because some of them are extraordinarily creative and, and artistic like like yourself. And some of the um, the players really do love coming in and seeing, um, especially the chess sets and chess pieces, I think they find to be really interesting. And a lot of times we've been able to have a lender give permission for them to do some kind of exhibition playing with the chess set and the chess board. But our audience is very diverse. And uh, what we've seen is we we have our kind of our art crowd is now going over and taking lessons and becoming members of the club and, and vice versa. Now, what about tips for artists who who might not know a lot about chess, what do you, advice would you give them if they, for instance, are invited to consider doing a piece for the Hall of Fame? I mean, I can speak to this pretty well because when I wanted to do this anniversary show and, and pull in artists, and, and real quickly, this imagery of chess show is based off of an imagery of chess exhibition that, that was the title of a 1944 exhibition that took place in New York, which it was kind of like surrealists and dadists and other kinds of artists and intellectuals got together and wanted to kind of challenge the the old style of the chess set in the game. And so they brought together all of these people and then and they did a show in New York at the Julian Levy Gallery um, that was really well um, accepted by the general news. It was in art 
journals and um, like Newsweek covered the show. And so basically, if that group of artists hadn't been doing what they were doing back then, we wouldn't exist the way that we are today at the Hall of Fame by, you know, looking at chess and art really together. So I went out and I found these 20 artists that I really wanted to work with. And honestly, I thought so many people would say no. And I really thought maybe I would only have 10 to 15 artists. But, you know, you know like when you invite people to like your wedding or something, you expect like a 25 percent, you know, everybody said yes, even if they were intimidated. They were so excited to exhibit here and, and be a part of that show. So some of them did have very... Um, you know, beautiful stories of, oh, I've been playing chess forever with so-and-so and I really like the game and my son plays chess. So I go see him in tournaments to the, I don't know how to play and I don't know what I'm going to do. And and my whole thing was I loved seeing what some of the artists who weren't as familiar with the game, what their interpretations were. And some of them were very um, topical. It was around the time of the last presidential election. And so there was a lot of emotion going on. Um, so probably three or four of the pieces revolved around that. But I just told him to go for it. When I was brought on, I was told, you know, try to come up with you know, several years of exhibition programming. And I thought, oh my gosh, around chess? Like, what am I going to, how am I going to keep this going? I cannot keep up with the amount of proposals we get. I cannot keep up with the amount of ideas that I have or that Emily Allred, who's our associate curator, has. And it's just, there are just so many ideas. So you can't go wrong. Just think about the game. If you want to be really literal, be literal. If you don't, don't. And I think, you know, if you go on our website and you look at our Michael Drummond being played exhibition right now, um, which is about chess and climate change and Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, you can see that you can pretty much mix everything together and, and come back to chess. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great show, by the way. You should definitely come check that out. The other thing is you have all these shows and the essays about them and the images on your website. So you can get inspiration just for going all those archives. It, and it's tough because it, it takes a lot of work with our graphics team and our, and our web designers to keep all that information on there. But we are an international institution. And though we have our attendance explodes during the big tournaments and we have people from all over the world coming in, there are people that can't come to St. Louis to see this all. And so I want it to be out there. I want it to be correct. You know, we're kind of the place where you come check out chess history and, and chess culture. And so as, as much as we can get away with copyright, um, we put as much on there. So you do have a really good history of what we have done here at the Hall of Fame. Now, you've gotten to meet, obviously, a lot of amazing chess players and artists through your career. What was like a highlight for you of somebody you met via your work at the World Chess Hall of Fame that really just was inspiring and influential? So that's really another tough question. Thank you. And it goes with the favorite chess piece or chess art. That is so hard because I think about like Harry Benson was one of the first people that we worked with because we helped promote the Bobby Fischer Against the World documentary. And that was in 2010 at Sundance. And that was one of the big first things that we worked on here um, before our doors were even open. And since then have had two solo exhibitions of Harry's work and have exhibited some of his work everywhere. And just to see somebody that he's in his 90s now and has lived and seen it all and, and learning about Bobby Fischer, he was with Bobby, instead of reading about Bobby Fischer, I mean, like talking to somebody that was so close to him was, I think, really helped inspire some of my work here. I mean, meeting you, we've known each other forever. It's really cool. And and I love like how you think and your contributions to uh, chess and to art. And you're exhibiting with us again right now in our beautiful game show. I'm very um, in awe of how you process 
the game and kind of how your brain works because people tend to think sometimes you're only creative or you're only kind of like STEM oriented and and you're a really lovely mix of both. Thank you so much. I mean, I really appreciate the compliment. I mean, I will say that when I was growing up that actually I, I have this theory that sometimes, I mean, obviously there's some really, really fast thinkers who are super creative, but I was a little slower than, for instance, my brother and other peers at picking up chess. My learning curve was a little different. And I think that sometimes that might be related to creativity because sometimes a little bit of a slower thought process helps you come up with ideas. Yeah, totally. Um, I get to meet all kinds of cool collectors, Um, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, John Crumiller, who just goes out and has this amazing chess set collection and he is so generous and helps us teach people about, you know, chess lessons. We've done two exhibits of solely of his collections and then he has lent uh, many sets to other uh, pieces. Then you think about like Bernice and Floyd Saracen. Bernice just recently passed away, but they were involved. They're involved with this Chess Collectors International, which is um, people all over the world that collect everything chess, but they may not necessarily be great chess players. Um, and so there's like all these levels. And then, of course, you know, having the opportunity to meet people like Susan Polgar and, and Magnus and Bobby and Hikaru and watching some of them grow up, too, because I also have known Hikaru for 10 years. I mean, it's 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 hard to pick just one. No, totally. And I, I kind of did predict you were going to say Harry Benson. That was you like did? <laughs> that was my segue to get to Benson. Cause oh, of course, that's crazy. Because that's like a piece of history. I mean, the Beatles, the presidents, like how many U.S. presidents did he photograph? He's photographed every single one since Eisenhower. Um, Not Trump as a sitting president, but Trump when he was Trump. (laughs) It really does feel like you're you're meeting history. And that's like really exciting, I think, for everyone. And we've been privileged here at the Hall of Fame to have um, multiple exhibits featuring Benson's work. Yes. And I always like that, you know, six degrees of separation kind of idea. And if you meet Harry Benson, you've pretty much met everybody. The job has been an honor. I get to meet the most interesting people. And it's just really fun. I've always wanted, I always wanted to be an educator somehow. And by creating these exhibitions and like you said, essays and labels and and visual materials, it's every day I get to help teach people. So you have such a great background in art and writing and thinking and academia. So how was it for you to kind of grow into this position where you manage a, a staff of um, how many here work here? 15 or so? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it, it's always growing. And then we share staff members with the clubs. So some people work for both organizations. And then we've got these amazing part-time people that help do some of our research. And then they act as great docents in the gallery too. I don't know. I, I always wanted to work in a museum. I always wanted to do something with history. I stumbled into art accidentally in college because I went to a liberal arts school. So that ended up taking me to Case Western Reserve University. I did their joint program with the Cleveland Museum of Art and uh, the Museum Studies program with the Cleveland Museum of Art. And that was awesome. I've taught um, college courses over the years. I ran a gallery at a university for a few years in Texas. I worked in development at the Contemporary Art Museum in St. Louis for a few years, and then I've been here for 10. Um, So I've just been picking up different you know, roles and responsibilities along the way. But as you know, because again, you've been here since day one, is that most of us have been here since day one. And so it's it's a really uh, close group. We all know how to work with each other really well. Um, as far as getting into chess, that was um, kind of funny. So my husband is uh, Bradley Bailey. He's a professor at St. Louis University, and he wrote his dissertation on Marcel Duchamp and chess. 
And so none of us thought we were going to end up doing this. We moved to St. Louis the same time Rex moved back. And um, Rex's art director, she said, oh my gosh, we're opening up this art or this chess club and Rex would love to see art in it because of his interests. And she was at the Contemporary Art Museum where I worked and said, "How am I? basically, oh my gosh, I need to find somebody who knows about art and chess. And the director, Paul Ha, who's on our board of directors here now, said, Shannon Bailey's out there. Her husband is a chess and art person. And that is um, how this all happened. <laughs> that's so great because, you know, I feel like that's a great lesson too because Paul obviously had you on his team, but <laughs> – he was, he knew you were great, but he was willing to like do it for the better of the common good. Yeah, well, I guess uh-huh. I never looked back on that day that a couple years later I was going to leave the contemporary to come over here. But, <laughs> um, you know, at that point I didn't realize the Hall of Fame was going to open up. And when it did, I um, I loved my job at the contemporary, but I wanted to work with objects again and I wanted to be more on the front line of the museum and coming up with the ideas and, and touching the artifacts and putting together shows. But yeah, so I ended up being getting involved with this because my husband picked a dissertation topic that dealt with chess. The passion you have for art and putting these shows together and curating seems so intense. And I wonder how you balance that with being the, you know, the boss of a staff now. I mean, is that difficult for you or have you gotten it kind of like streamlined so that you don't have to like get deal with the nitty gritty as much? I think I've got it streamlined. I mean, there's so much support here and people, um, I don't want to use like, you know, when to keep to your lane, but we're also collaborative. So, you know, I do have interest in like how we do marketing or what the graphics look like, but I kind of know when it's time to buckle down and really work on the writing and the exhibitions. But I, I like doing it all. I like the administrative aspect of it too. Well, right now, one of the reasons I'm interviewing you is because we have this Karen's Cup underway, the top women players in the world, or 10 of the top women players in the world facing off across the street. How does it feel to, you know, get women more involved in the game itself as the museum seems to have been interested in that for so many years? It's really beautiful to see that growth um, and to see the Karen's Cup now in its second year. And, you know, clearly it's going to keep thriving and getting bigger. And just to see the difference between year one and year two is very inspirational. And I was sitting beside Yasser at the opening ceremony. It was very moving and beautiful. I think that the women showed great appreciation and excitement to be involved with the Karen's Cup. And I just think about What's going to happen in 10 years? Like, what is women and chess going to look like when some of these women are going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? That is incredible. Yeah, I mean, obviously for me, it's been a dream of mine for a long time for there to be an event like this in America. And I love how it dovetails with some of our plans, like the U.S. Chess Women Program partnership with the St. Louis Chess Club to get more girls and women into the game. Because, hey, like you have an event like this and it certainly wakes people up, both parents and players themselves, like that this is worth pursuing because people care. Well, another thing, um, going back, I've, you know, I've listened to all your podcasts and some of them were so emotional and you can't help but view life differently um, when you're a parent. And my curating has changed so much since I've had a child and hearing stories about not wanting to play because there weren't enough girls around to feel comfortable. And, you know, what kind of impact does that have on everything? And if you can just get a few people a few of the girls, you know, locked in, I think it will, you know, start spreading very much. And and having things like bringing the girls junior tournament championship, you know, to St. Louis now that that's in the summertime and things like the Karen's Cup where I can bring my daughter 
down and around and not necessarily say things to the point where like, look, this is just for women. Isn't this amazing? But just have her kind of absorb that, look, these are the girl chess players too. Yeah, I, I totally agree, of course, even though I have a, have a son. Uh, I think it's important for boys as well to oh, see girls um, succeeding in playing. And as for your comment about how being a mom has changed your perspective, I mean, it to me, uh, one, one of the players in the Karen's Cup, Katerina Lano, is a four-time mom. I know! And she's only 30 years old. And she's a top grandmaster. And I'm so tired. And I have won. <laughs> and when they announced that at the Karen's Cup, I was in awe. Wow. That is impressive. I know. I really feel like she might be one of the true... Like, she just needs to get inducted into the Hall of Fame tomorrow for that. <laughs> exactly. For, she, she's very come very close to winning the World's Women's Championship. She's never done it, but... I think she will because her kids will get a little older and then she'll be even more beastly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. I know because a lot of times people say, like, who do you think is going to win or who do you want to win a tournament? And I think after finding out that she has four kids, I have to, I have to root for her. Yeah, it's funny because Yasser's always asking me about jet lag. So he asked her about jet lag. And I'm like, yes, she has four kids. And she's like, yes, I'm sleeping better here. <laughs> That is really funny. You could give me the worst jet lag in the world. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so we're, we're having a lot of fun. And, you know, it's great just to see also the leadership. I think women leadership positions in chess is growing. Um, Michael Kordakowski was here the other day and he said that at FIDE they've instituted quotas so that there's at least 20% of women on the various boards. Wow, that's great. But here we don't need quotas because you have um, top leadership from Dr. Jeannie Singfield to Joy Bray to you. It seems that women are just kind of organically a part of the leadership here. There are a lot of strong, talented women associated with the the chess that I'm familiar with. And, and I, I guess so it is kind of strange to go back and think how different it is and how lucky we are, because I think maybe I took it a little bit for granted because I've been here, you know, under, you know, Jean Hoffman and now Carol. And I love seeing all these women and, and you in all these positions and working with Joy Bray. I mean, she's Amazing. But it also, I do know that women were very much overlooked um, at times because when Emily was doing her research, when she was curating the Her Turn show, she was having problems. She was having a lot of trouble finding just like what women were um, competing in what tournaments and when, because a lot of the women's tournaments weren't even covered when they were important women's tournaments. And, you know, some of her research would like women weren't allowed to play in certain tournaments or there was talk about like if they were like potentially menstruating and how that was like affecting like their ability to be in a tournament. <laughs> it's just, I'm happy I live in the times where I, that I do when some of those things aren't needing to have a quota. It's just that it's already there because the talent is there. Yeah, it's a natural fit, no doubt. You know, Shannon, I really want to thank you for joining us here. I mean, you've been a friend of mine since we met we really hit it off and I mm -hmm. like I said you were one of the first people I thought of as well, thank you you've definitely inspired me in my work and thank yeah. you that's an honor you you're very inspiring and uh yes uh, you guys got to come out to the world chess hall of fame if you haven't already I know that most people have tried to make the trip and I know that some people plan it for years depending on their circumstances where they live and you know how many times they can afford to go on vacation but you know it's well worth planning and you know, we welcome you here. Yes, please come. All right. Thanks again, Shannon. Thank you, Jen. Shannon Valley with Ladies Night, Chief Curator of the World Chess Hall of Fame.
If you like what we're doing at UX Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all US Chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong. After slightly advantage, I had nothing but my dear Capablanco, you tell me.